so pleased to introduce to you Mr. Richard Magnus, uh, who actually spoke to us last Saturday. And I'm sure all the men who were, who were here were quite, um, uh, quite blessed by uh, the very authentic and humble sharing that he uh, told us about his testimony and about the work that uh, he, he does and, and challenge us to be a voice for God in the public square. Uh, Mr. Richard Magnus um, stepped down as the chief senior district judge on hearing God's voice. I'm not sure he's going to be telling us that later on, but stepped down and then the Lord led him on to other things, into a whole lot of other things that I cannot enumerate all, but uh, uh, firstly into the Casino Regulatory Authority. Okay, and the minister specially chose him because he's against it. To chose him to regulate something that he's against. Okay, um, and then a whole lot of other governmental uh, institutions and, and bodies that he's uh, a member of. In the church, in the Anglican church, he's chancellor. He's also been instrumental in uh, being a church planter to, to many areas in Cambodia, Indonesia, um, Myanmar. And, and Malaysia. Uh, he's married with two adult children and uh, three grandchildren, which is where I'm heading, I hope. <laughs> anyway, let me invite Richard up and we'll pray together. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are so thankful to you that you raise up men and women for your service and you pour out such grace and that this grace is so evident in the the work you have them do in the positions that you place them in the impact they have on society. God, you place each one of us also, the times and the season. And this morning, Lord, I pray each one of us, you will open up our hearts, Lord, to reveal a word apt in season for us that will not only encourage us, but gird us and challenge us for the times that are ahead of us. So thank you, Lord. I pray for my brother Richard. Lord, anoint him mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for the very, very warm, uh, warm, warm greetings. Uh, good morning, church. First of all, uh, let me thank you from the bottom of my heart for inviting me into your house uh, this morning uh, to honor the Lord. I think um, when I came here last week, I did not realize how the Lord has journeyed uh, with this church. And, and your house has been consecrated and set aside by the Lord for the last 130 years. I think it's amazing just to get snippets of uh, the stories uh, that the Lord has done within your church. So it's a great honor. I'm really humble to come into your house. Uh, I thought I would uh, be sitting there and, and listening and really uh, understanding what the Lord has done within your midst. So thank you again for, for inviting me. And as I was coming this morning, the Spirit of the Lord seems to prompt me to uh, really uh, understand and to see for my eyes what a family can be uh, when it is obedient uh, to the word of the Lord, when it is obedient to the prompting of the Lord, when it is obedient uh, to the way that the Lord uh, brings 
families and community together. And the Lord says you will see with your own eyes how they have got a burning love, a consuming love for me. So I'm excited. I'm more excited. Uh, I thought I'd just sit down there and just see what is happening rather than uh, to uh, preach uh, this particular sermon. But it's a great honor for me to come uh, to preach that sermon. My topic is on the Singaporean Christians. And what I want to share uh, this morning is really about how important it is for us, uh, wherever it may, we, we may be assigned to, in our work pla- workplaces, in our professions, in our vocations, and in our occupations, to be that light and that salt for the Lord, to engage in the marketplace, to engage in the public square. If I may request you to uh, just raise your hands, those of us us who are working in the private sector. There you are, quite a number. Those of us who are working in government service, and those of us who are working in professions or in other occupations, that's practically a lot of us. And the Lord has assigned this little kingdom uh, for us in order to be that influence uh, for the Lord. And so that's my uh, sermon this, this, this morning. And my text are two in John chapter 17 verse 14 and John chapter 15 verse 19. I will be referring to this particular text. But before that, uh, can I um, invite you to come alongside me as we pray the prayer that the Lord has given to us as a family, wherever we may be, whatever stations of life we are, we are just brought together by our Father in heaven. So let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I, I had, for many years, did not understand the depth of what that really meant until the Lord brought me to two uh, personal encounters where I began to realize that the Lord really meant something much deeper than I would have thought about it intellectually. In the Lord's kingdom, in these two encounters, in the Lord's kingdom, as you know, that is full of love. God is love. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of all, is love. God so loved the world. There is so much love in the kingdom of God. But in the marketplace, in the profession, in the public square that we have, there is a lot of selfishness, a lot of self-interest, and a lot of self-love. So one day I was invited to share uh, with a group of pastors and those working in the marketplace, as well as those working in in, in government. Uh, And I was sharing, and I was not sure what to share. The Lord sort of prompted me to just share John 3.16. You know John 3.16. You know, if you are desperate and do not know what to share, John 3.16 is a wonderful starting point. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And as I was preaching that in a congregation just like that, suddenly a woman came through the door carrying a girl in her hand, you know, 
and she came and came to right to the front and where, where, I was, where I was sharing, came to the front and I began to realize that this girl was not an infant but a slightly elderly girl, which I learned later on to be about 18 years old. And she just plonked that girl in front of me and she screamed at me and she said, you say that your God is a God of love. Show it to me, he says. Can you imagine what was happened? It is nice to know that God is a God of love. It is nice to know that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I did not know what to do. I just waited upon the Lord and says, Lord, this is the time in which you need to show yourself up, not me. You know. I'm just preaching your word. So you have to be able to show that your word is real. So I just went down, closed my eyes. I just laid hands on, the, on, this, on, the, on this girl. I asked the mother what has happened. This girl has been suffering from poliomyelitis since, since she was six months old. She's now 18 years old. She's been suffering this condition for 17 and a half years. Her, her limbs were like that. This was her limbs and she was just on the floor, uh, just like that. Laid hands, I said, Lord, you have to do, you have to show this girl your love. Close my eyes, then I heard crying. And I opened my eyes and I saw the mother was crying. I said, why are you crying? He said, for the first time, he said, I see the muscles on my daughter's leg moving, you know. And as soon as she said that, you know, this girl just stood up. Just stood up on her very spindly legs. She just stood up and she began to walk backwards. She has never been able to walk for the last 17 and a half years. She just walked backwards. I looked at her in complete awe you know, of the wonder and the awesomeness and the love of God. So I told the mother to tell the girl, come forward, ask her to come forward. She walked forward. I said, come running. She came running, you know. Can you imagine what the Lord has done? The will of God on earth, it is in heaven. And just engaging the pastors, the marketplace and all that. And that's the way that I think uh, the Lord has given us the house and the ability to be able to equip us in order to engage uh, the marketplace. So when this happened, after the event, one of the congregation members said, hey, could you come to the hospital to pray for a friend of mine? <laughs> right? So I said, uh, where? You know, I said, <laughs> in the hospital. I said, what happened? This chap has got paralysis. I said, no, 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 I, I don't think I'll be able to pray for paralysis. But I said, you just come at least pray for the person. And on the way, he was telling me that he was a brethren pastor and he was paralyzed all the way from his, from his neck, all the way down. And here I was completely confused as to what needs to be done. Just give me a moment, my, my <laughs> PC. Uh, I got it. I was completely at a loss. When I went there, the man was there, completely paralyzed. He was lying on the bed together with his wife. So I asked the wife what happened. He says, I don't know. My husband uh, just went out you know, and, and began to evangelize uh, to, to the north. Uh, this was in, 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 uh, in Myanmar. I went to the north. And he came back paralyzed like that. What do you do, uh, my friends, you know, when you see a condition like that? you know that God must be at work in the life of this particular person. And I started waited at the, at the bedside and just wondering what to do with this person. The Lord says, just pray Psalm 121. You know Psalm 121, right? I lift up my eyes to the hills and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. As soon as that word was proclaimed, as soon as the word of the Lord, that living word of the Lord was declared, you know, his toes began to move. He was lying flat. His toes began to move as if the Lord is in fact signaling that he will not allow, he will not allow his foot to slumber. So I went on to read one Psalm 121. Indeed, he, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shed at your right hand. And as that word is being declared, you know, there was movement from the toes. I mentioned to you the toes. All the way up from his limbs, right on to the part of his body. You know, his limbs began to shake and began to move, you know. And he says, then I go on to say, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. And it was a shocking scene. Suddenly I saw life coming to the chest, to his body and up to his neck. He then turned around and looked at me because he was then stationary uh, the first time I saw him. And as I ended the living word of the Lord, from Psalm 121. The Lord will watch over your going out and your coming in, both now and forever. You have to be there to see how the Lord works in the life of His children. It's amazing that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Engaging the public square, the marketplace. You know, there is no person in the history of the world and no one has been able to authenticate that. You remember that occasion in the scriptures when Jesus went into the synagogue in Capernaum. Some of you may have gone to Israel to, to be in that synagogue. I went to that. It's a little synagogue. You know, the benches were all on the side. They were just raised areas sitting at the side. And Jesus came and took the scroll of Isaiah in his hands. And he says, the Lord, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. That calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ, where he says today, the scripture has been fulfilled, that calling is our calling as the Lord's disciples. Not only in the place that he has assigned us. Not only in the vocation that he has given to us, not only in the profession that he has given to us, in the workplaces that he has set before us, but more than that, within our community, within our land, and within our nation. To do what? To proclaim the good news. To proclaim freedom. To set the oppressed free. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon you, my brothers, my sisters. I looked at your history and I speak to some of your elders. I know that you have been consecrated and that you have been sanctified, you have been set apart for his will. I recall the passage in Judges, the story of Joshua. In Judges chapter 3 verse 5, when they were preparing to go over to cross the river Jordan. In Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, remember those words where Joshua called all the people together and he said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourself, for the Lord will do wonders among you. This church, this house, is a consecrated house. You worship the Lord your God truly with all your heart, mind, and your soul, and your, your spirit. You know, your worship today was so encouraging and, and so uplifting, knowing that you have within you the fire of the living God. The fire of the living God. You honor the Lord so greatly and so gently. I think in regard to uh, the way that you conduct yourself. You have been consecrated to reign in the area of influence that God has given to you. Can I just remind me of this passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 17? It says, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We have been made to reign in the various areas that the Lord has been given to us. You know, one of the big challenges I noticed among the mainstream churches, I'm talking about, uh, I come from the Anglican church, a mainstream church. I used to worship in the Catholic church. I, I uh, subsequently um, became a Protestant because I see what was going on in the Catholic Church. I, I've been preaching in the Methodist churches, in the, the main churches, not only in Singapore, but in, in, in other parts uh, of the world. They draw a distinction between the sacred and the secular. Sacred and the secular. On Sunday, it's a sacred time. And when you step out into the workplaces that we are on a Monday, on to the Saturday, it is always a secular time. So there seems to be a distinction between the sacred and the, and the secular. And I notice, I, I realize that this has been the wrong teaching that has been handed to us for centuries and for centuries. And the guy who was responsible for that in his initial stages was a chap called Eusebius in the third century. He taught that there are two different kinds of classes, the holy ones, the holy orders, as well as the people, uh, the lay people. So the, the holy orders do holy things, the lay people do sacred things. But that's what not the scripture says. In Colossians 3 verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father among you. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, so it's, it covers everything else, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, I was, I was just, I just came back from a conference in, in Australia. There was a gathering of all the business leaders, uh, as well as from the government leaders all over the cities of Australia, and they congregated in, in Melbourne. And there were about 150 of them, senior leaders. And it was over a two-day period. And they asked a basic question. What is it that the Lord wants us to do in our respective workplaces and in the public square? What else is there for us to do aside from just uh, witnessing, aside from just uh, giving the gospel and sharing the gospel with people? Is there something else that needs to be done? So we were talking and we were sharing. And we said, what about Matthew chapter 28? Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I have commanded you. What about that? What about discipling nations? He said, has there been a time in the history of Christianity when a nation has been discipled? So I said, yes. There has been a time when a nation has been discipled. If you read the book by Ramsey Macmillan, The Christianizing of the Roman Empire, the whole Roman Empire became Christianized, not because of what the emperor did, not because the emperor says, every single one of you must be a Christian now. It is because of the work of every single ordinary Christian within the area in which the Lord has assigned them. They took care of the poor, they took care of the oppressed, they took care of the widow, they took care of the fatherless, and they began to show the things that the Lord's, Lord's love within that area. And uh, the sick were brought to them to be taken care of. And in many cases, the sick were healed. And people began to see that. And they gathered together like what we did this morning. They celebrated Holy Communion. And they, they began to rejoice uh, in, in the Lord. Despite persecution by the Roman authorities. They were persecuted by the Roman authorities. Despite all that, they just stood up for their faith. And because of what they did, an entire empire became Christianized. So we see that. That's what's happening. My friends, we have the name of Jesus. We have, some of you who are lawyers here will know, that what that means is we have got his power of attorney. We have got his resources and his presence to personally guide us. And everything that we do is infused with his life. You know, I think uh, Senior Pastor Tang mentioned that I stepped down from, from, from the bench. You know, judges have got a certain tenure, and uh, you cannot sack judges, right? Because otherwise, you erode their independence. But there was a time when the Lord called me uh, in order to step down my, 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 my appointment, my office on the bench. But what I wanted to tell you is, this particular passage from, from, from uh, the story of Moses, uh, you know the accounts uh, in, in Moses, in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 4, all right? When God came uh, before uh, the burning bush, one of the first things that the Lord said was, Moses, take off your shoes. What you're standing on is holy ground. When we enter into that relationship with the Lord, when we walk into our offices, when we walk into our workplace, when we sit down in our little cubicles in our workplace, when we exercise our profession, our vocation, 
we're entering into a holy place. And that is what God wanted to remind Moses. And there was something else that prompted me. Remember, Moses says, God, you know, you want me to go and engage the government, uh, the, the Egyptian government, they're such a powerful nation, you know. You want me to go in into the palace of the government and speak to the Pharaoh, who am I, you know. I can't do it. And God just looked at Moses and said, Moses, what is it in your hand? You see, it's my staff, O Lord. It's my staff. Throw it down. And Moses threw that staff down. And you know the story, right? And what did Moses, what happened to the staff? It turned into the serpent. Pick it up now. And Moses picked up the staff. When Moses picked up the staff, it was not Moses' staff anymore. It became God's staff. That staff has been infused with the glory and the authority of the Lord. We walk into our workplace. We walk into our profession. We walk into the area that the Lord has given to us. What is it that you're carrying with you? Your authority, your, your power, your sense of responsibility. The Lord says, throw it down. Take it up again. Then it becomes my responsibility, my work, my authority, and my power. Let's go for it together. And that's what Moses did. You know, the Lord has sanctified us. The Lord has sanctified you to be set apart for the purpose. In the same way, the Lord has sanctified. You know, when Moses asked God, who can I say you are? You know, who, who's, who's, who are you? You know, that can I tell the government? You know, who am I? And God says, you tell them my name. God, tell me, what's your name? I am that I am says the God. You know, in some of our Bible translations, it says, I am who I am. And I think that's a wrong translation. I am who I am. I say that I am Richard Magnus, that's who I am. But that's not what God is saying. I am that I am. My being is predicated upon my being. I am the God of your workplace. I am the God that brings you the ability to be able to do these very things. I am who that I am, says the Lord. So it's a very serious topic. It's a serious topic that Senior uh, Pastor Tang has asked me to share about how we can engage the workplace. And I'm glad uh, for the topic. In John chapter 17, verse 14, in the beautiful prayer that uh, Jesus gave to his father, and uh, he was speaking of his disciples. He was talking about his fulfillment of his commission before returning the Father. And he says, Father, I have given them, the disciples, you and I, I have given them your word. And that is the word of life. That is the word that will make the difference. That is the word that will set people free. That will the word that will turn uh, various areas free. 
You know, the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus tabernacled among us. And the scripture says that he was a light in the midst of darkness. And the darkness did not understand that. As we walk into our workplace, we are that light and that tabernacled in their workplace. The darkness, it's still there, does not yet recognize us, recognize us until we take our stand. You know, one of the touching uh, things in, in the scriptures is, you know, there is a very, sh the shortest verse in the scriptures is, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He wept over a world full of sin and corruption and oppression and poverty, disease, demons, death. He did not bow his knee before the devil. He did not seek escape from suffering. He did not hide in contemplation and be a monk or in meditation or trying to seek inner ecstasy. What did Jesus do? He engaged the world. He went into the world. He brought God's kingdom of forgiveness, healing and liberty into a world ruled by sin and by, by Satan. And this is what Jesus says. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John chapter 8 verses 31 to 32. And as the Lord's disciples, we, we have to make a radical difference for God. We can make that radical difference to God. We want to make that radical difference to God, uh, for God with people and in our workplaces, in the various areas that the Lord has called us. We are called to be transformers. We are called to change the place around us. And at the workplace, God is already present. You know that. It's important for us to recognize that. And He's just waiting for us to act with Him. Because God is the God of the universe. He's the God of the ecos. He's the God of uh, the nations. Uh, he made us to have dominion over His created being. You see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And in Hebrews 2, verse 7, it says, You have been appointed over the works of God's hand. So remember the story of Jacob. You know, again and again, the story of Jacob comes to mind. Remember Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. He was running away, then decided to, to rest. He had a stone for a pillow. And what did he dream of? He dreamt of in the ladder from earth to heaven. And that is the connection. God is always there. And this is what Jacob says. God is present in this place. And I did not know it. God is present here in my workplace. And I did not know it. God is present in my profession. And I did not know it. When I was asked to, I was in Mindef, and that's when I met Senior Pastor Tang. Uh, we were in New York. We were, at that time, uh, doing some uh, interesting purchases uh, whilst in New York. So, whilst in Mindef, uh, I was asked to go. I was in Mindef for about 12 years. I was on secondment uh, from the judicial service. I was asked to go back. I was asked to go to the courts. And when I went to the courts, the, I was asked to go there because the courts had a backlog of cases. We had got about 300,000 cases. 
It took us at that time 10 years to 12 years to have a case heard. A civil case will take about 10 years. A criminal case will take about maybe about 8 years to 12 years. It takes a long, long time. So the case was huge with backlog. And in the World Bank survey, we were right at the bottom, just above Mozambique. <laughs> so it was really terrible. And oh, our reputation of Singapore was really terrible. You mean Singapore, uh, first world nation, but just above Mozambique. So I was there to clear the, to clear the, the backlog. The first thing that came to my mind was, mm, I know, I said, I can have build up more courts. I can engage more judges. I engage more staff will solve my problem, which is a very simple economic way of looking at, at the various areas. I had then uh, just come back from the Harvard Business School, and I said, oh, I've got, I've got all these wonderful ideas, you know, how to change people, how to motivate people, and things of that sort. But as I waited upon the Lord, the Lord brought me to a very simple account in the scriptures where Moses was mediating the disputes of lots of people. And the father-in-law says, Moses, what are you doing? You know, Why didn't you appoint elders? And the elders will come and help you in order to clear your backlog. Of course, the word backlog was not in the scriptures. But to clear all the outstanding cases, people were waiting for them. So I says, Lord, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? What does that mean for me in, in application in terms of, of the courts? God says, no need to build courts. No need to build, have more judges. No need to have more staff. What you have is enough. I will do something unusual and extraordinary within your thing. Then I thought to myself, the only way I can stretch human resources the only way I can stretch fiscal resources is to extend that. So I decided to institute night courts. I use the same judges to work extra hours. I use the same courtroom to work extra hours. I use the same staff to work extra hours. I don't have to pay anything more. I don't have to have any other costs. And by virtue of the night court, I cleared all the minor cases. I cleared all those cases. And within three months, by just sitting in night courts from Monday to Friday, from 6 o'clock to 9.30, 6 o'clock, three hours. Every court sits for three hours at a time. I, I have 77 judges sit there, and these cases were all cleared through the evenings. Then I told myself, now Moses, what time does he wake up in the morning? <laughs> it must be early, right? I remember the, story, the accounts. Uh, when the morning arises, I shall rise up a lot and give you thanks. I said, Moses, all right, what's up in the morning? So I told the lawyers in town, I says, look, normally the court starts at 9 and 9.30, but I'm, we are prepared to come in at 7 o'clock. You come at 7 to 9.30, I will give priority to your cases. So lawyers came at 7 to 9.30. Not very popular, because now they are pressurized by the clients to come, right? Because now we have made, uh, we publicize it and we tell clients and everybody say, your lawyers have got this timing. No more can they give you an excuse. Uh, we are waiting for the courts. Now we are waiting for you. So they come at 7 to 9, 9.30 for, for good two hours. They will come and have their cases of disposed of. Cleared a lot of the cases uh, by that period. Call the police commissioner, 
call the home affairs, I call the prisons authorities everywhere, and says this is going to be the pace in which we work, we, we work uh, in, in the various areas. Cases were cleared, backlog sorted out within six months. Within six months. We used to have, at that time, a divorce court. People would come, file for divorce. So I was, I was troubled, right? Because God hates divorce, right? And courts cannot be that agency to, to, to uh, make orders for divorces. So I said, let's change the name of the divorce court to family court. God recognizes families. God loves families. God loves husband and wife and children. You know. Whenever they have got problems, we act, ought to resolve them. I brought counsellors in. I brought uh, psychiatrists in, psychologists in, child psychologists in, as now part of the family court. As part of the family court. So whenever a couple comes, before the judge hears your case, you go through this particular system. That's counselling. If I can salvage one marriage out of ten, I would have made a difference in the workplace. So now we have the family court. Neighbors fight. Neighbors are fighting, right? And the role of the court is to bring peace. The Lord has brought reconciliation between man and God. So I said, yeah, how do I have God? I can't call it a peace court. You know, people will be wondering what this guy is up to, right? So I called it a neighborhood court. You're fighting with your neighbors? Come, let me try and resolve it. You're unhappy with your neighbors? You come and resolve it in regard to this areas. And I brought in non-judges. Remember the story of Moses? He brought in appointed elders. I brought in elders within the community. Justice of the peace. People who have been in the, in the uh, commercial sector for a long time with experience. Community leaders within the system and began to establish family court. What about criminal cases and civil cases? In civil cases, it's a very adversarial system. But God's kingdom is not an adversarial uh, kingdom. How to make this non-adversarial kingdom come into place? I introduce mediation within the system. Civil cases gets resolved just by mediating. And then the parties go back happily. It's not, I won the case, I lost the case, and things of that sort. So matters went on like that. And in cases of criminal cases, I made sure that they have a right, uh, uh, a counsel, right to be heard, uh, interpreters, that uh, I, I developed sentence, uh, sentencing principles. I, I wrote five books, uh, law books, meant for judges and for practitioners. So by doing that, the marketplace, the workplace was completely changed. And I shared with a man last week, uh, my, my friends, that the kingdom of God is made up of righteousness, truth, and mercy. And the judiciary, and the values of the judiciary, righteousness, truth, and mercy. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That takes time. Tears, pain, and sometimes without seeing that a lasting deposit is being made, even amidst our frail and seemingly failed or weak attempts. But our pain and our tears, and sometimes our seeming failures should not surprise us. The same thing happened to our master 
character of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in John 15, 18 and 19. He says, if the world hates you, you know that he hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and therefore the world hates you. Let me just tell you two short stories. I know the time is running. And I want to give you an opportunity just to rededicate your lives back to the Lord and telling to God, yes, Lord, I want to make that difference because I love you and honor you. Let me tell you the story of Chin Chong. You know who is Chin Chong? Chin Chong is a political uh, commentator uh, for the Straits Times. If you have read yesterday's papers, there's a whole story written by him about what's happening in China. He was arrested. He was arrested by the Chinese government. They thought that he was spying for Taiwan. They arrested him and they sent him to five years solitary confinement. Right, we wrote to the Chinese government. We told them, you know, that uh, this guy is not a spy and it can't be he was just making comments. He's getting his sources from everywhere and that he was doing that. But the Chinese government refused to allow that. And Chin Chong was, became broken. He almost committed suicide uh, whilst in prison because he was in solitary confinement. So he says, can you give me some materials to read? So they gave him uh, Marxism to read. And he read Marxism. Why is it? Why he found Marxism so interesting? Karl Marx so interesting. By the end of the day, it's just intellectual knowledge, but nothing touches mine. What can I do with Marxism? Right? So they gave him books on Buddhism. Why? He enjoyed reading the books of Buddhism about enlightenment, about the ways, about uh, uh, coming to grips with your suffering, coming to grips with your condition. It sort of consoled him for a while. But then he said, what can I do with Buddhism? I cannot even pray. I cannot even speak to Buddhism. Then he asked them for a Bible. It took them a long time in order to decide to give him a Bible. And finally, one day, this is three years later, they decided to give him a Bible. And the way that they gave him the Bible, compared to the way that they've given him Karl Marx, the way that they've given him uh, the sutras uh, on, on Buddhism was different. They tied his hand. It was stripped right onto his short pants. It was stripped like that. And whenever you speak to a Chinese guard, you have to kneel down and look up this way like a Chinese guard because you are a monkey. Right? That's a, that's a Chinese word for that. Because you are a monkey. And then... He had to crawl all the way to the prison guards. He got out of his prison and he had to crawl all the way through the stones, cobble floor and all that. And with his hand tied up, they gave him a Bible. My friend, that book contained freedom. And there's a picture of him. He has written a book. There's a picture of him receiving the Bible while his hands were tied up. Though his body was tight, his spirit was set free because of the word of God. And Chin Chong now has written a story about this particular area, about how 
the word of God has changed. And because of that, he now writes political commentaries. You read this article uh, yesterday. He adds in words, uh, values within the kingdom. So he's using that to change his marketplace. I represent Singapore on, in ASEAN. I, one of my areas is the ASEAN International Commission of Human Rights. So ASEAN said, the government, the heads of state says, uh, in our 50th year, we want to establish something meaningful. We want to have an ASEAN Declaration of Human Rights. So I was, part, I was leading this particular team in order to make sure that we have got a good Declaration of Human Rights. For three years, we were fighting about sexual orientation. Sexual orientation. The right to be a homosexual, the right to be gay. And this regional forum, there were three countries that was pestering uh, in regard to that. I stood firm. I was the only, we were the only country that stood firm in regard to that. I cannot quote scriptures and say this is wrong scripturally, that this is what the word of God says. I had to use what I would call second order uh, language, uh, theological language, in order to, to engage the marketplace, to engage this whole idea about declaration. We give way, declaration will be there and will become part of our laws. Forget about 377A, that declaration will then be incorporated within our laws and that will be forever in all the nations around us, the 10 nations around us. I stood by that. If you troll the internet, you will see a picture of me uh, in one of the ASEAN meetings. They have put an ASEAN meeting and they have put a big circle around it and said, this is the guy who is against LGBT. It has gone round the internet. So whenever I now meet groups, uh, the human rights and activist group, and says, why, why are you so against LGBT? Why are you against homosexuality? Why are you against uh, uh, against this particular aspect of it. You know, in John chapter 5, there's a story told about how Jesus healed a man who has been sick for, sick for 38 years. Remember the story? The man was sick for 38 years. Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk, Jesus said. And the Jews and the Pharisees and the leaders were very upset with that. And he says, how can you do that? How can you heal this man on this particular day? On this day, it was a Sabbath day. And the story that is given to us in the scriptures is not for its own sake of showing that Jesus is able to do miraculous things, but Jesus engaged the thought, the leaders, the complacency of that time. Jesus is in fact saying to the society at that time, for 38 years, this man has been sitting here. You have not lifted even your finger in order to help him to bring him to the pool. You have not done so. But on this day, after 38 years, this man is healed. Now you blame him for taking up his mat and walk because it is a Sabbath day. What was Jesus in fact saying? Jesus was in fact saying that the stagnancy, you know, the pool was stagnant it required someone to stir the pool. He says, it is not the pool that is stagnant. It is your lives that are stagnant. 
It is your values you are stacking. You need to be stirred. The hand of God needs to be stirred. And by doing that, I'm stirring your conscience. I want you to change your thoughts. Think in regard to this particular matter. You know that account, right? And that's how Jesus uses that to engage the community. Not easy. The world will hate you, but you need to stand firm. Because the Lord has himself has gone through that. You know the other story about the, 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 the beggar who was blind. And the disciples were walking past this beggar. And he says, Lord, who made this person blind? Was it his parents? Were the sins of his parents? Was it his sins that made him blind? Jesus looked at him like them and says, neither, it was neither his parents nor the sins of his parents that he was blind. But he was blind for the glory of God. What? He was blind for the glory of God. How is that possible? They had not seen this person that was made in the image of God. A blind person does not have to be a beggar. But they have missed that. They have missed that. The leaders were very upset. Why did you make this man blind? Remember what Jesus did? Jesus spat, put mud on his eyes and told him to go and wash. Why did Jesus do that? It was another Sabbath day. You're not supposed to do anything on a Sabbath day. But the people were not interested whether he was healed the people were only interested that he was, that he was, it was the Sabbath day. They were not interested that he was a beggar whatsoever. What all? They have seen him walking, walking in, uh, in, that, in that particular area. They were not interested at all. They were only interested in themselves. Self-interest, self-love, no compassion of Jesus. But Jesus wanted to engage the marketplace and to make a difference. Let me try and conclude. And in conclusion, let me quote to you 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 17. Therefore, the word of God says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The two promises in this verse. First, that there is God who will sustain and renew us. However tired we are, however wearied we are, however inadequate we are, however misunderstood, uh, that we are. And second is that whatever we'll do, we last. You know that. This church knows that for the last 130 years. All the little things together that will last. The actions of moments or the actions of months, however transient, have the seeds of glory within it. God infuses His own glory in our weakest effort, and that when you I do things in the name of Jesus, however weak we feel, is invested with something of himself. Sometimes we will leave a lasting deposit 
but remember that beyond our weakness, glory, there will be glory for the Lord. And you know this passage in Second Chronicles 7.14, and it says, it is only a privilege of the people of God to say that when they get together, when they seek God, they pray, healing will come to your workplace. Healing will come to the society around you. Healing will come to the nation. All it requires us is, is, is to step up. All it requires us is to move from our position and step up and say, God, I want to make that difference for you. You have given me everything that I have. Now make the difference. You lead me in that journey. Can I invite you to stand, please? We take a pause before an almighty God who invites us to journey with him, to make that difference for him. And my brothers and my sisters, I want to invite you to make a public stand uh, this morning. Symbolically coming out from your private seats where you are sitting and take that step to declare to the Lord, give me, Lord, a kingdom heart for your kingdom. And to declare to the Lord, we will take our place here and now. We know that we will, you will take your place in releasing God's redemptive grace. I'm inviting you to come forward to the front so that we could come alongside, pray with you. Dedicate yourselves, rededicate yourselves to the Lord's call again afresh. And says, today will be different. You know, our journey tomorrow as, as a disciple of the Lord depends on what we decide today. How we ended today will decide how we will continue tomorrow. I'm not sure what the practice of the house is, but I would like to invite you to come forward so that we can pray with you. Take that first step. So invite the elders of the church to come and, and, and to pray for Can I again encourage you that not 
to allow this time to pass by. Not to allow the Lord to pass you by. And just, Lord, catch hold of this garment. And just, Lord, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you, Lord. Don't pass me by.